What is good, everybody? Welcome to another Gold Standard Podcast. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. It is Thursday. That means Levin Black is here. What's up, Levin? Lucky you. Yeah. I know this This is like the highlight of your week. You, you <laughs> sit and you wait all week long. Like, Vish is just an appetizer for you, you know? This is the main right. course, Michelle's dessert. Whatever you need to tell yourself to get through the show is fine with me. Uh, like and subscribe the channel, by the way. New name for the channel, Gold Standard Network, is the new name for the YouTube page. Just made more sense to keep everything gold standard, so that's what we've done there. Please like and subscribe, and please rate, review, and follow the Gold Standard Podcast Network. Yeah, that's right. I reigned in your vanity. Yep, you did. said it shouldn't be all about me, so okay. I'm a team player. That's fine. <laughs> we'll do it here. In uh, truth, two... uh, something I don't think either one of us had really thought of. That's true. So Just so that nobody thinks we're sitting here and fighting. We're learning as we go here. Uh, two things we want to talk about on today's show. Number one, Lamar Jackson and the 49ers and what the hell's going on with the Ravens. And number two, Levin and I have been in the lab. We have tinkered with the Matt Barrows, David Lombardi spreadsheet. And we have come up with a potential roster solution, so we'll go over our two rosters. Uh, first up, Levin, this Lamar Jackson thing. I need to correct something that I tweeted out. I was not 100% right, not 100% wrong, but I want to clear the air. So the way it works with the non-exclusive franchise tag, Lamar can go out and negotiate an offer sheet with other teams. If he agrees to an offer sheet with another team, that goes back to the Ravens, and they have a decision to make. They could either match it, and if they match it, then Lamar is a Raven, period, end of story. If they don't match it, the other team turns over two first-round picks, and Lamar Jackson goes to the other team. In that scenario, the 49ers cannot be a part of that because they don't have first-round picks in 2023 and 2024, so they cannot work it out that way. But where I was wrong was I said that means they can't trade for Lamar Jackson. That is not true. They can work out other compensation with the Ravens and essentially do a sign and trade type of situation. So they could still be in on Lamar Jackson. That is a very long winded intro. Should they be in on Lamar Jackson? If their contracts weren't the way that they were. Yes. The problem is this is a year that the 49ers don't have a ton of flexibility in terms of getting cap space off the books for good. There's a couple of contracts that they can restructure to create mm -hmm. cap space. And I'm sure they will. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, uh, Javarius Ward is one of them. And Fred Warner is another. Uh, but in terms of actually like trading somebody and fully clearing the books so that they could fit in Lamar Jackson's contract, they don't have much flexibility. You know, they can't trade Kittle and create cap space. They can't trade Debo. They can't trade Warner. They can't trade Armstead. None of these they can do because they've already been restructuring them. So I just don't see a way that they can make it fit. You know, Lamar Jackson would have to do basically what he's unwilling to do with the Ravens, which is a team-friendly deal that is very backloaded. Now, he wants a lot of guarantees, and that creates a whole other issue. Like, if you if you don't make the first year a big cap hit, that means the next years are going to be $50, $60 million cap hits because you didn't have it in year one. There's no way that they can do that without having to like literally clear house. Like, okay, Trent Williams, go retire. Thanks. Hey, Kittle, you're gone. Debo, you're gone. You know, they would have to pretty much get rid of all other big contracts in order to make it work. And 
I still don't see how they do it in year one because Lamar Jackson, I don't think is going to be willing to do a cap hit of say like 20 million in year one. So yeah, the dynamic in this that I think is making it different from other quarterback situations we've seen is that Lamar doesn't have an agent. If Lamar had an agent, I feel like the Niners would be able to finesse it a little bit to where they would structure the deal to make it work financially. It would be painful, but I feel like with an agent, they'd be able to make it work and figure it out. Without an agent, I don't know. Again, I don't know who else is helping Lamar, but I feel like that. I don't know. I just feel like he might not be as willing to engage in like these crazy convoluted contract talks because the more kind of complicated it gets, the more you feel like you might be vulnerable to getting taken advantage of by the team. At least that's how I would feel. I don't know if that's crazy. I don't get into the, you have to have an agent depends on the person. I don't know Lamar and whether or not he's uh, good enough with numbers to do it himself. You know, I would say Richard Sherman certainly was. Uh, there are certainly others but out there. His that deal are was bad. Sherman's deal. With, don't forget the NFLPA had to come in and fix Richard Sherman's deal. So, but it's, okay, it's complicated. One, there's two things here. One, I would do want to. I looked just to double check myself. The Niners do have a 2024 first. They just don't have the 2023. Um, right. You you said otherwise when you were talking earlier. I just wanted to correct that so that people don't hammer you as much as i'm doing right now sorry if i was yeah if i was unclear that you need to have a first round pick in, in both, both years. years yeah sorry um but then the part of it is lamar doesn't have to i think that's the that's the the key part of this yep. why does lamar need to do this he should have so many suitors coming if deshaun freaking watson can get the deal that he got then what is the hold up on lamar jackson and I do think that your former boss has a good point. I do think that there's some collusion going on here with so many teams. Like, there's no reason to put out, yeah, we're not going to be interested. Teams don't do that. Why are they doing that? That is doing a favor to the Ravens. Something's fishy there. It doesn't make sense. But if Deshaun Jackson, or not Deshaun Jackson, <laughs> Deshaun guy. Watson can get the deal that he got, there's no reason why Lamar should be like, okay. I'll take a really small cap hit in year one, and then you backload it, and we have to do all these kind of cap shenanigans and get a really complicated deal. He doesn't need to. It's it's very, very weird, and you're right. Because if you're Lamar, like, all right, tag me. I'll play out this year on the tag. I play out next year on the tag, and then I hit the open market because you're not going to tag me for three straight years. It would be way too expensive. And if he's willing to assume the injury risk, like Kirk Cousins did when he left Washington, then – there's nothing really anybody can do. I mean, he's willing to accept the risk. That's up to him. That's a decision everybody's got to make on their own. Um, but I do think the Niners should be in on this, frankly. Because, like, if Trey Lance develops the way we all hope, he might not even be as good as Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson is a 26-year-old former unanimous MVP. And don't tell me he can't throw because he once led the league in touchdown passes. Like, no. The odds that Trey Lance develops into anything close to Lamar Jackson are super slim. And that's just, that goes for anybody because Lamar is crazy talented. This was actually my favorite thing uh, that was thrown out there in all this Lamar Jackson stuff. In terms of career numbers, Lamar Jackson's completion percentage is better than Josh Allen. His touchdown percentage is better than Josh Allen. And his interception percentage is better than Josh Allen. This is essentially Josh Allen hitting the open market. 
is what it should be treated as, and it's not being treated that way, and that stinks. It's crazy to me. I mean, Frank Reich literally at the Combine said, and these are his exact words, he said it would be, quote, franchise malpractice to not turn over mm-hmm. every stone to look for a quarterback, and yet we've already got a report that the Panthers are not interested in Lamar Jackson. So they're just committing franchise right. malpractice? Like, the Falcons, same thing. Oh, we got to turn over every rock. We'll investigate everything. Oh, nope. There's a report the Falcons aren't interested. Like, that's so sketchy. Like, and the owners, they don't have to be coy about this. They don't have to pretend like it's not collusion because unless there's a paper trail, you can right. never prove it. And so I think it's pretty and who clear. Do, who does the commissioner work for? Uh, that would be the owners. Oh, so it's almost like the people that have to police collusion (laughs) would have to be ratting out themselves like it's not going to happen and in this scenario it's not like a different you know there's certain collusion scenarios where one team gets screwed because of it and so that owner is going screw you i'm going public with all this there's no scenario here where one owner is feeling you know aggrieved you know if you're a team that's going to be interested in lamar jackson you're happy these other teams are bowing out because it gives you negotiating power with Lamar Jackson. And True. if you're the Ravens, you're happy they're coming out and saying, hey, we're not interested because, again, Lamar loses negotiating power, thus it's more likely he returns. Like, it's it's just, we, we all know what it is. And I think that's part of the reason the Ravens put the transition tag on him because they knew he wasn't going to get that offer because they, they know about the collusion. I mean, the Ravens owner said Bashadi said oh i really wish deshaun watson didn't get a fully guaranteed deal that that makes it really hard to do business in the future that's unprecedented like they're they're putting it out there they don't want to yeah. establish the precedent of fully guaranteed contracts for quarterback kirk cousins got a fully guaranteed contract but it was only three years and if you look at most of the big quarterback contracts that come out essentially the first three mm-hmm. years are fully guaranteed anyway because you're not cutting that guy that you're signing in the first three years then Deshaun Watson got it. And what was the backlash from owners? Everybody got mad at the, at the Haslam's, the Browns owners. They all got mad. So, I mean, th- this is what I would, I would say. There has been a conversation amongst a lot of the owners at the owner meetings where they mm-hmm. said, we're not going to allow this to become the thing. So whoever is the next great quarterback to hit the open market, we're not nobody's going to give them fully guaranteed. We're going to make that agreement now and that's collusion. And I think that's what happened. I don't think that owners met or talked amongst themselves and said, no, we're not giving Lamar fully guaranteed contract. I think they said, we're not going to, whoever's next is not getting that so that that doesn't become the new thing where every year some great quarterback goes, screw you. I'm not signing unless I get fully guaranteed. Right. You think the Chargers want to have to give Justin Herbert a fully guaranteed deal or Cincinnati have to give Joe Burrow a fully guaranteed? No, it's in their interest to collude. Collusion is always in the interest of those that are Mm -hmm. colluding. And let's not pretend like the owners haven't colluded before. They did it with Colin Kaepernick and they did it in the quote unquote uncapped year a few years ago before the CBA got worked Mm -hmm. out. And when Dallas and Washington said, screw that, we're spending money, they punished them for it. So we have seen this kind of collusion before in the NFL, it is not a shock. And I think it's pretty obvious. The only way they would do fully guaranteed contracts is if somehow it was negotiated in the CBA and they got a huge concession from the players in exchange for that. That's really what I think they ideally would want. Yeah, they're they're never going to do fully guaranteed deals. But the quarterback position is a unique one that kind of does have the power to try to demand that. Right. I don't know what Lamar is going to end up getting. 
But the fact that Daniel Jones just got forty million, Lamar should be getting fifty million. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty clear. I mean, did you see Deshaun Watson got tons of money fully guaranteed? That that's the whole problem here. You you're letting a POS get fully guaranteed while he's going to trial for a whole bunch of lawsuits, and now another one comes available. And you go, hold on, you're not getting what that guy got, even though that guy has all kinds of red flags. Well, he didn't go to trial. They were they were in the process of settling, but it was up in the air. That's he'd been the point. sued. Let, let me rephrase. He had been sued right. by, I think he had 21 at the time of the trade. Bill Barnwell of ESPN did an article about all the teams that should trade for Lamar Jackson and what he thinks it would take. Um, he put the Niners at number 15 on the list. Uh, I'm trying to see the package that he said it would be. Lance is obviously involved in the deal. I think it was like Lance, Lance, Ayuk, and a 2024 first-round pick to the Ravens for Lamar and a 2024 fourth-round selection. If that was a deal, yes. Like, faster than that. I would do that deal so fast. Trey Lance, Ayuk, and a 20. Yes, go ahead. We'll take Lamar. I would do that in a second. Would you? Yeah, this this is the way I would sum up Lamar Jackson. You got to make a call. You call Lamar Jackson, say, hey, we're interested. Here's our cap situation. This is what we would need you to be able to do. And when he says, no, that's worse than what the Ravens are offering. You go, okay, well, we tried. Because that that's the scenario. It's I would trade darn near anything to get a quarterback of Lamar <laughs> Jackson's caliber. You know, we were talking last week on the show about how, like, a single quarterback who is an MVP level means you can pretty much have a crap rest of the roster, and as long as your coaching is good, you'll be a Super Bowl contender. You know, who did Patrick Mahomes just win a Super Bowl with? Him and Kelsey. That was it. The offensive (laughs) line was bad, and the wide receivers were terrible, and yet they were dominating the league offensively. So I think you, you pay whatever you need to pay to get a Lamar Jackson. The problem is, is in order to get him, they have to have Lamar Jackson agree to a deal that is likely worse than what the Baltimore Ravens have offered. And why would he do that? And thus you make the call. He says, yeah, not doing that. And you're done. Like the Niners need to make the call. I just don't think it's going to go past a 10 minute phone call one time and you're done. You know, and they, it may, but I, I bet you they're making the call. I mean, this is a team that literally called about trading for Tom Brady. You don't think they're going to call for Lamar? I I think they oh, are. Oh, I'm absolutely. sure they've talked to Tom Brady already. Oh, I'm sure that too. But also, like, let's say they did pull off a trade. That gets them off the hook for the, like, gets them out of this whole Lance Purdy. Like, there's no, you trade for Lamar, he's yeah. your starter. I don't give a crap what Brock Purdy did in six games last year. Like, no. Lamar would be your guy. He's kind of like a get-out-of-jail-free card, much like Brady would be if they could bring him in. So I do think that they would do it. I think they would investigate it. I bet they have. And like you said, it might not go very far, but I absolutely think they should. I would be in support of it because if the 49ers haven't learned the lesson that you just explained by now, where you have to have that elite quarterback, like shame on them. Now, would you do this deal? Because I think this could be something that the Ravens would push back with if somehow they had Lamar. Be uh, It would be Lance. A 2024 first and Nick Boza. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would do it. It would hurt. It would hurt. I would absolutely do it. I I think the Ravens would ask for Boza and the Niners in that scenario should say, hey, look, we got Lamar willing to come to us. 
he has the power to say, I'm not playing unless you trade me to this one team. So uh, mm-hmm. we're going to stand pat and not give you Nick Bosa. But in the scenario where that was the only way, yeah, like pretty much any deal you offer me that involves me getting an MVP caliber quarterback who's not like 44 years old, I'm going <laughs> to be willing to do. Yeah. And again, it would hurt. But you know what? That money you got to pay Bosa, that's going to go to Lamar. And like, I, it would suck, but I would do it because I, I think, I just think it's clear, especially with Mahomes in the league now. Like, you're going to have to play Mahomes probably if you want to win a Super Bowl. You've already lost to him once. I would do it. Absolutely, I would. The, the NFC is in a weird spot where the path to get to the Super Bowl is as easy as it's ever been. Yes. But the path to win a Super Bowl is arguably as hard as it's ever been for the NFC. I mean, we, we're the same age. If you're in your mid-30s, you grew up in a period where when you were a kid and coming of age and watching the NFL, the NFL won something like 16 straight, or NFC won like 16 straight Super Bowls. The <laughs> AFC could never win one because you had the Cowboys and the Niners dominating. So I, I think that in this scenario, it's starting to swing the other way. Not starting. It has swung the other way. Like, oh, I, yeah. I would have to sit down and actually count, but I would say at a minimum, the top five quarterbacks are now in the AFC because Brady's it's... gone and like Carr doesn't do anything. Right. Especially if Rodgers is going to the Jets. That's one. Who are the quarterbacks in the NFC that scare you? Yeah. Jalen Hurts, who was awesome in the Super Bowl. And that's it. That's it. Dak, no, I've seen the 49ers kick the tar out of the Cowboys multiple times. I'm sorry, Dak, he's not a bad player, but is he your obstacle to get to the Super Bowl in the NFC? Absolutely not. Kirk Cousins, no. Justin Fields, no. Matt Stafford, no. Geno Smith, they beat Geno Smith three times last year. (laughs) Great, Seattle. Awesome. I love that you kept him around. Daniel Jones, who just got a new deal from the Giants, no. There's nobody. So if there was ever a year where you should be aggressive it's this year either living through the growing pains with trey lance or with a lamar or brady or something like that yeah i mean i i am at the point where i say if lamar is willing pay whatever it takes the problem is i don't the only way you can do it is if lamar agrees to the contract that's worse than what the ravens have to have offered at this point and that makes no sense so in theory we don't know what the ravens offered but you would think that they put a pretty good offer on the table but yeah so i'll be interested to see if we hear anything about what the 49ers tried or didn't try uh, but i'll be definitely keeping an eye on that all right let's get to the second half of the show today and that is our roster construction for 2023 uh everybody or i shouldn't say everybody many 49er fans are familiar with the spreadsheet from david lombardi and matt barrows of the athletic it's it's a really cool thing that they have done where they basically make it really easy for you to kind of plan out how the offseason could go for the 49ers. They've oversimplified some stuff, but for the sake of the exercise, like that's fine. And you can go and pick players and free agents and it puts a salary in for them and draft picks. And you can do the whole thing. Uh, Lombardi tweeted it out. And Levin and I have both done this. I will give you the floor first and we can compare and contrast. I'll tweet out the picture of mine. We can tweet out the picture of yours so people can check it out uh, once the pod actually comes out. What is your, what, let me just say this. How did you build your roster? (laughs) Uh, Basically, I built my roster in the manner that I think will probably be pretty close to reality. 
and that is that there is no big signing coming. Mm-hmm. There, there's a couple of mid-level signings, and that's it because they don't have a lot of cap space flexibility, and they don't have a ton of huge needs either. It was way more difficult than I realized. There is, like you said, there's very little wiggle room with what you can do. You've got to do a lot of jumping through hoops to make it work. Like I, of course, like right off the bat, sign Bosa, restructure Mooney Ward, restructure Fred Warner, restructure Christian McCaffrey. Like just to be able to breathe, you have to do that, which is not crazy complicated, but it is one step in the process. Um, You know what I just realized I can do? I'm going to just share the screen here for anybody watching this on YouTube. I don't know how clearly you'll be able to see it. Um, it's a little well. difficult to see. You can yeah. zoom in, hit uh, control. Oh, never mind, you have a Mac. How's that? Is that any better? That's better. I mean, it's readable, but it, it's pretty small. If somebody's watching on their phone, uh, I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to talk about it anyway. So originally I was like, I'm putting Brady in because I think the 49ers are going to bother him until the cows come home. I could not make it work. Even with no other free agent signings, I could not make it work with Tom Brady. So he's out. So I went with budget veteran at QB3. Um, Oh, really? Yeah, I I just, again, like I had to make some painful uh, choices here. Um, I wasn't too concerned with like what draft pick I was using where. I'm not going to lie. I filled in the draft picks where I thought appropriate. I basically had them draft two tight ends, two defensive linemen, a tackle, a linebacker, a safety, and a kicker. Um, and again, you can choose the rounds. I don't think they're going to use all their draft picks. Like, I think they're going to trade and move up. I, I don't think so either. I think they'll move around. Yeah. But in this scenario, that wasn't <clears throat> really an option. Because here's the thing. They have three seventh-round picks. What is the chances that three seventh-round picks can make this team? Slim to none. Right. So what's the point of keeping them? And like, yeah, and I don't know how valuable they are in trade, but look, if some team's looking for to get a uh, a new Brock Purdy, there you go. There's your seventh round pick. I'm trying to look some of the other big things that I did. Um, I had a Yannick and Gonk, a unique and Gonkway signing. That was the only thing that I finagled right at the end. I was like, let me see if I can do that. I would love to be able to add him. He'd be such a compliment for Nick Bosa. Um, so I, I finagled him in there. But that also means using a lot of draft picks on guys, no other free agent signings. And uh, it's it's a little painful. You got to keep guys around like Quantrez Knight at safety. I have him at, as the fourth safety on the team. Uh, I did have them bring back Emmanuel Mosley. Um, and then I have just budget veteran at nickel because it, Lenore would end up being your nickel. So it doesn't, I just have them right. going budget veteran at that spot. So let's just go down position, position by position and see the differences. All right. What did you do with quarterback? At quarterback, I have them keeping Trey Lance, obviously. They have a trade option in there. They're not going to trade him. Uh, and I have them signing Andy Dalton for $6 million. So right off the bat, we have a pretty big change. Mm-hmm. By the way, I had $1.69 million cap space left over oh wow i only had 900 grand (laughs) i just barely squeezed it in so i think that that's one of the big changes you went budget veteran meaning uh somebody like probably mike white or something like that yeah just a scrub so then running backs i think we're probably going to be pretty close to identical i've restructured mccaffrey obviously you have eli mitchell use check jordan mason ty davis price 
I have them just staying with that. Yep, me too. I think they'll probably... I think they'll probably use one of the draft picks on a running back, but he won't make the roster to put him on practice squad. So I didn't put that in there. Could be. I also, like we've talked about, if a Mitchell trade opportunity popped up, I wouldn't yeah. be stuck. I, at I all wish they had that as an option on this because I would. Right. Have it. Yep. Okay. So we're on the same page there. Wide receivers? Wide receiver, basically, it's what they already have currently. And then I have them using a fifth round draft pick to get wide receiver six. Okay, so I didn't have them doing that, but yeah, we're pretty much on the same page there. Tight end? Tight end, uh, because it's a stacked roster or stacked draft, I had them waiting until the fifth round, but I have them grabbing a fifth round tight end. I would not be surprised at all. I didn't put it in here, but I wouldn't be surprised if they use like, say, a seventh round pick to guarantee they get one of the guys that they were going to look at as an undrafted free agent and just use one of those seventh round picks to get him in this deep tight end draft and yep. see the wild card that he is. And if he ends up panning out and being really good and the fifth round guy is really good, they could move on from uh, Charlie Warner at that point. I have them using two draft picks on tight end. Um, Michelle's got me super into Sam Laporta of Iowa, <laughs> which, you know, like the heir to George Kittle, literally coming from Iowa. He's very similar to Kittle in terms of his athletic ability and right. his run after catch ability. Like, and I'm you really know, he can to... block if he's at Iowa. Right. So like I have them using a third round pick, a number, a pick number 100, their first pick, essentially. They probably won't do that, but hell, this is my thing. I'm excited about a guy, so I'm just planning for it. So I had them using two draft picks at tight end, which probably won't happen. But again, like low cost, cost control. Right. They got to be looking at, I know you and Michelle talked about it a lot more. Enough. They have to be looking towards the future of, we're going to probably want out of Kittle's deal sometime in the next year or two. So let's, in this crazy deep draft, try to get the heir apparent. Yeah, and his dead cap year this year would be twenty million. His dead cap year in twenty twenty four would be nine point eight. Right, big difference there. Yep. Just, just throwing that out there. Uh, offensive line, I have them bring back Jake Brendel and Colton McKivitz. I got that too. I think they pretty much those are pretty much done. Like they kind of have to. I have them bringing back Daniel Brunskill. I do not. Ah, I think that his versatility, I think, is what they would value. Because they know they can move him into a bunch yeah. of different spots. The problem is, I think Brunskill is going to value, and I think some team will probably give him a shot at starting. Not guarantee that he can start, but I think some team will give him a shot to start, and he'll end up taking a one- or two-year deal to have a chance to start because he knows if he comes to the 49ers, he's not. I'm sure he'll test the market. Um, yeah. It'd be interesting. So I had him coming back, and then I had them using a third-round draft pick on a tackle also. Yeah, so I have them using a third-round draft pick on a tackle, and then because they didn't bring back Brunskill, I have them using a fifth-round draft pick on a guard. Interesting. But I think there's some practice squad guys that could end up filling that in, but they didn't have that option on this thing. Uh, well, they did have Jason Poe you could have put in there. I guess um, I missed that because that's what I was thinking is that Poe yeah. could end up making the roster. But I do think if it, unless they do a trade-up where they get drastically less draft picks, I see them just taking stabs at a lot of positions and going, well, we'll get this guy. We think he has potential, kind of like a higher end potential guy. Not necessarily that he's going to be ready to go and we'll put him on practice squad and see what he can develop into. Yeah, I think that they're pretty confident in their late round pick selection. So right. I could see them doing that as well. They do need to 
there's some work to be done on the offensive line, though. So that's going to be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out because if Brunskill doesn't come back, that obviously changes things. Does that change the draft plan? Who knows? But I think that, that that's one of the reasons why I wanted them to take two draft picks, take two mm-hmm. stabs at finding the diamond in the rough that can truly be a you know a staple on the offensive line rather than a stopgap like McKivitz. And, you know, Brunskill, yes, he brings depth, but you know what he is at this point. And at this point, you don't want him being your starter. So I see them more going, okay, we're confident enough with Brendel back that we have a starting line that we were happy enough with. And we're going to take stabs at a guard and stabs at tackle to see if we can turn one of these guys into an improvement over a McKivitz or maybe even a Burford if Burford doesn't progress. I do think it's pretty interesting that no one has talked about Jalen Moore as a potential option for my, to replace Mike McGlinchey. Uh, like that anybody was, that watched Jalen Moore play yeah. would not. <laughs> uh, that is a stab they took that is probably not working out. On the defensive line, of course, you got to do Bosa's deal. That's a given. Um, I would love if they would be able to trade Javon Kinlaw. Um, I actually think I had that now that I look at it. Yeah. I did have them trading I have Kinlaw. them trading Kinlaw. I think they'll just want to be done with the mess. Right. Like just for whatever, who cares? The seventh round pick. Like if you want to give them away, I'm, you know, I, I'm hoping that somebody will clear up some space had... in that cramped training room. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's part of the reason it's so cramped is because it's always damn full. Um, and then I have the Niners bringing back Jordan Willis. I have them signing unique and Gonkway, like I said, and then I have them using two picks along the defensive line as well. Cause they, they do need to restock that Levin. It's an area of need. So I have them signing Justin Houston, as I've talked about. Uh, that guy. costs four yeah. million, uh, and then I have them with another DE spot drafting in the sixth round. I don't think with Justin Houston and Drake Jackson, they're not going to need to spend time at DE after that. I think they'll just take a high end guy that they th- or a guy that has high end potential, like maybe somebody that's highly athletic but very very raw in the sixth. I have them bringing back Kevin Givens as a restricted free agent uh that's 2.62 million and i have them using their first draft pick the number 100 overall on a defensive tackle so i think they bring back givens to give them a little bit of security and they use their first pick on defensive tackle to hope that they can find a starting caliber guy i could see that playing out that way too i wonder what kalia davis do they envision him as a guy that could potentially start? Do they look at him as more of a depth piece? He's right. coming off a, an ACL injury, so we obviously this don't know. This is the way I, I kind of look at this. Th- this spot, the defensive tackle spot, I wanted a free agent. I couldn't afford it. And what it came down to was, what do I think is going to happen with Purdy? Because if Purdy gets the six-month time frame, I could see them doing the budget veteran that you have. And then they use that money that I have going to Dalton, $6 million, and use it to get a defensive tackle veteran that they see as a starter. And that that was kind of what it hinged on. I don't think Purdy's going to be counted on this year. I don't have good feelings about that surgery. We'll find yep. out more about that tomorrow, hopefully. It might be one of these things that goes through the weekend without us hearing. Friday um, news dump. Oh, by the way, Brock Purdy had Tommy John surgery. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. It could be one of those news dumps where they hold it because we're close enough now uh, where they hold it until, let's see, so it's the 9th. The 13th is the open tampering where people can start negotiating Monday, and yep. deals will be announced and all that. They could drop it at like 1150 PM on the 12th, <laughs> just before all these deals get announced. Hey, Purdy had Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Oh, this free agent sign. And then it gets buried in the news. 
But it's a good example of, we talk about it, but I think this is like a really concrete example of everything you do affects everything else you do on the roster. It's like a Rubik's Cube. You can't just move one piece. Every move affects all the other pieces. This Brock Purdy thing, yeah, it's going to impact how the the plan goes. I mean, that was sort of the article that that Barrel, I think it was Barrel's head, or maybe it was Silver, Silver, uh, with John Lynch. And he essentially admitted that, like, we, we can't, know yeah. which way we can go until we find out about this surgery right and that's what i think is going to happen is if it's a repair it's perfect news hey he'll be back sometime in september essentially um no most likely like first half of september at that point i think they're not going to spend money on a big name top mm-hmm. backup they're going to go super cheap maybe even go in the draft and say you know we don't need to invest there because if lance doesn't work out purdy will be ready soon enough but my feeling is that they're gonna not get great news there and so if they don't get good news on party it's the exact opposite they have to get one of those top backups (laughs) and in my opinion they're gonna want a backup that has tons of starting experience where they know he can come in and be ready to go not somebody like baker he has starting experience he knows the system i could see a baker I just don't think that they want to introduce somebody that's that sure of themselves that's going to want to push themselves into a leadership position. You know what I mean? That's what I don't like about Baker. I don't see Baker coming in and just being the quiet little backup over here. He's going to want to be like, look at me, look at me and being, you know, calling out things and practice and all that stuff. So that's why I don't see Baker as a fit. But somebody like Sam Darnold, that's more like a reclamation project. And that's why if Purdy's bad news, I don't see them going the reclamation project where right. they don't know what they have. They're going to want somebody that, well, he can kind of keep our window open if the defense is otherworldly and everything else comes together. And that's Andy Dalton, in my opinion. Yeah, God. Is Andy Dalton that much worse than Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't think so. I think they're very similar at this point. Yeah. I think he's a that's little fair. bit worse than Garoppolo, but not by much. Uh, moving to the defensive backs, I have Mooney Ward restructuring. I have a, be- a budget veteran at corner, like I said, because Emmanuel. I have Emmanuel Mosley coming back, so he would be your CB2 for me, and then Lenore would be your nickel. So they're going to add some budget veteran to fill out the roster, but that's how I had the secondary breaking down, or at least the corners. So the difference that we have here is I have them using one of the last picks. Because when you mm-hmm. have Ward, Lenore, Womack, Thomas, and you get Mosley back, there's not really a need for any kind of veteran. You know, those are guys that have been here. They know what they're doing. You know, you're going to be looking at, uh, you know, Lenore will be going into year three. Uh, you got Thomas. He's going to be CB6 at that point. You, you got Mosley. To me, you, you got three guys you consider starting. Ward, Lenore, Mosley. Yep. Now we've heard that they look at Lenore more as the nickel back of the future. So you slide him in at the nickel back and you have Womack as kind of like this. He'll come in if there's an injury somewhere type of person, but I don't see them needing a veteran in this scenario. So I have them using like a seventh round pick where, you know, that guy probably ends up either sitting at the back end of the roster or going to practice squad. You could cut Ambry Thomas. You could. Easily. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, and you could save a little money, and I don't know that you would be losing that much in terms of on the field. Um, so, you know, I may do that now that I think of it. Sorry, Ambry. Oh, here's the thing. I'll be truthful. 
I was like, oh, sure, I'm going to cut and save that $1.1 million on Ambry Thomas. The problem is that in their spreadsheet, they don't have the ability to replace them. They only have six slots. They didn't have the ability to say, okay, I'm going to sign the seventh guy because Thomas is cut. Right. So I was like, oh, I uh, see that's too much of a hassle. I'll just keep Thomas. I, I, I kind of see that as kind of like a, an up in the air. I think you we'll kept him on a technicality. <laughs> I think they'll end up likely bringing in either a late round draft pick and an undrafted or just multiple undrafted undrafted players. And if it's anywhere close or they see real potential out of one of them, Thomas is gone. Uh, the safety spot, I thought it was interesting. All right, hold up. You skip linebackers. I did? Yep. <laughs> Terrible job by me. I apologize. <laughs> what I totally for. skipped over linebackers. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, Fred Warner, I have them restructuring. Greenlaw obviously is there. Burks is there. I have them drafting a linebacker for a linebacker four and then undrafted free agent for a linebacker five. Pretty boring, but yeah. I think that's how it's going to shake so out. So with, with the top two, they don't need to go out of the way. Oren Burks is fine as a linebacker three, I think. Uh, the only difference here is uh, I used a seventh round pick instead of a sixth. So we're on the same page that basically uh, they'll get guys that might have potential, can fill in the back, be good on special teams type guys, and not spend money here. I can't remember the linebacker who's not on this sheet. Well, the guy that just resigned was it uh, McCrary Ball? Yeah, I believe that's he's not true. on here. Yeah, I know. I would probably put him in then instead of the undrafted free agent. I didn't realize that until just now. Um, but same difference. Oh, he is McCreary Ball is here. Let's see what he. I just found him. Point seven five. So basically the same. Yeah, thing. same price as Marcelino. Yeah. So then if I switch that out, there you go. Here's the thing, and this is the limitation of this type of exercise. In reality, what will end up happening is they bring in undrafted guys and have ball there and they fight it out for the last roster spot right because the reality is they're gonna have 90 plus people not 53 people right and we're yeah we're kind of fast forwarding here to the final cuts um sorry linebackers i didn't mean to skip over you um to the safety now i thought this was hilarious right because throughout this whole sheet you can look and you can put budget veteran which was exactly what Tashawn Gibson was. He was a budget veteran signing, and then he ended up leading the team in interceptions and playing great. Yep. I have him coming back, by the way. I have him coming back. uh, I I think that's all but a given because, uh, what was it, Lynch that said, uh, we we want him back, and he has interest in coming back. It's like, okay, well, that's a done deal. Um, But I have one change here. I have them using one of the third-round picks. You have a fifth. And then you have uh, Knight in there. I have them using a second draft pick mm. and going with the last pick, the seventh round pick, 256. I feel like the 49ers like ignored the safety position forever. So I couldn't have them use more than one pick to that position because I feel like they've – have they even taken two safeties in like Lynch and, and Shanahan's entire tenure? I don't think so, but I think this is also a different thing because they inherited Jimmy Ward and Jaquasti Tart when they came in. So they already had kind of their their safety, so they never needed to go get two guys. That's true. Uh, by the way, did you see Jimmy Ward didn't rule out a return to the 49ers at Nickelback on Instagram Live? Yeah, so that, that tells me one thing. <laughs> his market is not what he thought. If his market is jack crap, then he'll come back and be the Nickelback on mm-hmm. essentially slightly above league minimum so 
It'd be interesting. Um, that if you're the 49ers, I say nothing but nice things to Jimmy Ward. We love you. You're so versatile. Mm-hmm. We we would love to have you back. And then you let him go explore everything that's out there. Yeah, if he you, comes, you tell him go talk to other people. We're here as your backup if you can't find what you what you think you're going to find. Or at least like call us before you sign with anybody. Give us a chance to keep you around, right? And then, of course, you're still not going to go over your number for him. But if if his market, for whatever reason, if the other teams don't want to pay what he wants and he comes back, that'd be a win for the 49ers. That would add an incredible amount of depth to their secondary because I'm just looking at it. If you if you uh, sign Ward, oh, they don't even let you sign him on the spreadsheet? Oh, no, there he is. Yeah. So they have him at six and a half million for the cap hit. I think if he comes back, I don't know that he would get that much. Cause I think the 49ers would know at that point, he didn't have any other options. So if you could get a player, the caliber of ward for less than that six and a half, that'd be a massive win. Yeah, it, it would be now. I, I, I think ward ends up getting a deal somewhere else, whether that's the jet, the jets or the Texans. I think somebody's going to give him more than what the Niners are willing to pay him. Yeah, the Texans, that's true. They got money to burn, too. And maybe D'Amico wants to just get one of his guys in there. I think Aziz is going to end up in Houston also. Um, and then, oh, I didn't do kicker. I didn't do the, the kickers. I, I say, have them is, using. This is one of the big uh, changes between us. I have them using just a draft pick, seventh round pick on a kicker. You think they're going to go sign somebody? I think they go after Matt Gay. He just became available. Uh, he comes in at 5.1 on the spreadsheet. They've been paying that amount to Robbie Gold. Uh, Gay, he was a uh, pro bowler in 2021. And in 2022, he was every bit as good. He has made mm-hmm. uh, like 93 plus percent of his kicks in the last two years. He's one of the best kickers. He's, I would say, probably after Justin Tucker has as good of an argument as anybody as the next best kicker in the league. And it's too important of a position. I I just draft picks when it comes to kickers is so incredibly hit or miss. And it's too important of a position. I just don't see how you can trust drafting somebody because people have done that where they've gone the draft and it works sometimes, but it's not, it's not what you would think that, Oh, kickers are really easy to scout. You're getting the, if you draft one, you know what you're getting. You know, I go back to Roberto Aguayu. I'm not sure 100% on Aguayo. Is it Aguayu? Roberto Aguayo. So he was second round pick. And <laughs> he lasted one year pick. and made 71% of his picks. He was seen as like this can't miss best kicker ever prospect since Janikowski. And he bombed. He had one year in the NFL because he was so bad. He, he basically couldn't take the nerves of the NFL is what was reported about it. So I just don't see them going, we're going to use a draft pick and pray it works. I see them using money to sign some veteran where they know what they're getting. Gay is the best one out there. And he comes in on the spreadsheet at a price that they've been paying their kicker. Yeah. So Aguayo was awesome in college. He made almost 89% of his kicks and then he was hideous in the NFL. Like you said, Matt Gay has hit 60 of 64 field goals in the last two seasons. That's almost 94%. Mm-hmm. So you're going to pay, but you're going to get quality. I, that's pretty clear. Plus, he's also 
he'll be 29 years old. So yeah, like, he, he's not that it matters because they just had a 40 year old kicker, but also on kickoffs. Robbie Gold was not good on kickoffs. He could not get the ball in the end zone. That's going to help your field position also. So there's an argument to be made for not just going to the draft for the kicker. I just did it more from a money thing. And and here's the thing. Matt Gay is a great example of what you get in the draft. He was drafted four years ago. His first year, he only made 77% of his kicks. And then he got better. Like he struggled as a rookie. There are very, 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 very few rookie kickers who have come in and been good right out of the bat. Like it, it is not as easy as you would think that, oh, it's just kicking. You know, and there's no difference between college and NFL. For whatever reason, it's like all the nerves take over. And the amount of rookie kickers that have come in and been great after being drafted is essentially slim to none. There, there's like literally three or four in the last 20 years. I got to get to the bottom of that. Now, like, I I was talking about it, and mm-hmm. I, I really, like, first of all, like, how do you scout a kicker? Because I, I was talking with uh, Matt Barrels. I can't remember if it was before we did the interview or after or whatever. But, like, can't you just look at the numbers and say, like, okay, this kid hit a lot of his kicks? Obviously it not. It should be pretty easy to scout because I, I, I think it's one of the things nobody spends the resources to do it correctly. Yeah, they because you be. need you need to have – uh an interview with the person because kicking is, I would argue kicking is more mental than any other position in the NFL. Most people have the leg to do it. Consistency is one issue. That's part of it. But a lot of it is nerves and a lot of kickers just aren't as good at handling it. And I think that's what happens in the draft is the teams just look and go, Yep, this guy was really accurate. He's capable of hitting from 55 yards. We'll draft that guy. And then they get there and they go, oh, this guy can't handle the pressure because they didn't bother to spend the resources to send somebody there and truly get a read on him as a person. But, like, you've got a special teams coordinator, Brian Schneider. Is your guy. Like, that's his only job. Yeah. Send him. What else has he got to do? Come on, let's go. Send him out there. I want to know. I want to talk to either one of these incoming kickers, or maybe I'll try and track down like a David Akers, somebody that used to kick for the Niners. I want to know like what goes into the scouting, and also why do kickers struggle in their first year when it seems like it should be the easiest transition of every position? I'm hooked on this kicker storyline. No, there's, there's only one instance that I know of where a team did spend the resources and i remember it being reported when he had probably the best rookie year ever for a kicker it was reported that basically what the rams did and this is the st louis rams they gave some low-level assistant and said your job this year is to go to all depths of college and find the best kicker out there and who he came back with was somebody that played at division two missouri western greg zerloin and while he flamed out after a couple of years, he was ridiculously good when he came in as a rookie. And he, I mean, he's still in the NFL. He's still kicking around. And he's just kind of falling off some. But I remember he was hitting like 60-yard field goals as a rookie. Yeah, he has long was 60 that year. Uh, Legatron, one of the best nicknames ever. I mean, how many kickers ever get a right. nickname? But I mean, right, we spent a lot you, of- you still have guys like, like uh, Daniel Carlson's another example. He was drafted by the Vikings, bombed at the Vikings. They ended up having to move on from him. He goes to the Raiders, and now he's one of the best kickers in the NFL. Like, 
there is something to be said about they're not good year one. And it, it takes some kind of mental change, something, where almost all of these kickers that were drafted, they took a year or two to actually be good. So I just don't see them doing that. It's too important. Yeah, that's so weird. Minnesota, he missed three out of his first four kicks. And then he went to the Raiders and only missed one the rest <laughs> of that season in 2018. Uh, and let's be honest, 49ers kicker, the job's not that hard. Most of your field goals are like 20 yards because Kyle Shanahan's too afraid <laughs> to go for it on fourth down. So just just throwing that out there. So that I have to say the roster building thing really was more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Um, and if they can't trade Kinlaw, you know, that that's a little more or a little less money, I should say, they have to work with. I don't know what they're going to be able to. I was just assuming, like, even if you had to throw in a seventh-round pick to get him on the roster, just do it. But uh, it's John Lynch has a challenge in front of him, man. And and the, the quarterback situation on Friday is going to dictate a lot of what happens. Um, I'm not going to be as critical of the 49ers in their offseason as I was last year because it's a totally different situation. They don't I'll, have I'll as believe much flexibility it when I see it this year. I'm telling you, brace yourself for positive stats. Oh, yes. Can't wait. I'm positive. Go ask Vish. I said almost nothing negative about this team the last 10 games of the season because how could I? They were kicking everybody's ass every week. <laughs> I I think it took you about six weeks to get into that boat, though. Like, you weren't well. super positive for 10 weeks. It was after six weeks, you're like, okay, I can't say crap until they lose. When they're good, I huh? say they're good. And when they're bad, I say they're bad. I, it's a simple You're talking philosophy. to the guy that tries to be as realistic as possible. Yes, that is true. Um, so your final prediction for Brock Purdy is hybrid surgery or full Tommy John surgery? Who knows? Like, What's the point of me making a prediction on that? But I have no freaking clue. I just think point. at this point, them keep pushing... It, the surgery is enough red flags to where I think it's more likely than not he has Tommy John. But, you know, no, nobody knows. The doctor doesn't even know. Can I just, I say this is really, really weird too. And I jumped on this. I don't know if anybody else did, but I did it literally when the news came out. John Lynch was quoted by Mike Silver as saying the surgery was going to be Wednesday. And then all of a sudden later in the day, it became Friday. And I went back and checked Silver's article and the, the quote was changed. Um, and so I texted Mike and was like, didn't Lynch say Wednesday? And he confirmed to me that, yeah, he did originally say Wednesday, but Silver also said that he thinks, you know, maybe it wasn't set in stone or it was a logistical issue. Like he didn't really know the reason why the thing would be changed, right. but I just can't get away from like the GM whose whole job is going to be dictated by this procedure. Doesn't know that the day of the surgery that, doesn't seem likely to me and i just wondered if maybe the doctor said you know what let's push it back another couple days just to give it as much time as possible the niners can't have the surgery be any later because the new right. league year is going to begin the following week so i i don't know i just thought it was really weird that all of a sudden john lynch wouldn't know what day his presumptive starting quarterback was going to have surgery right and it's not the scenario of my initial thought was Oh, maybe Wednesdays when he's meeting with the doctor the first time for them to kind of look at things and decide whether or not they can have the surgery. And then it got reported later that he met with the doctor this week. Right. So he's already had that meeting. So that that's not the scenario that's happening here. 40 days after the initial injury, 
the surgery if it does indeed take place on Friday. And it'll be six months to the day, Levin, before week one. Yeah. It's uh, not not good. It's six months to the day, week one. So best case scenario, I think, is Purdy's ready to go, but they're sticking with Lance because they're going to give Lance, you know, a, a look, basically. That's the best case scenario. And at this point, I, I think you should be bracing yourself that it's not going to be best case scenario because – Best case scenario was him having the surgery a month ago. Right. <laughs> and they uh, they they might have a little bit of wiggle room, too. Like, let's say Lance is, is playing okay, but the Niners are winning. They could easily say after week one, well, you know, Brock's not 100% yet. We're going to stick with Trey after week two. We're still not, you know, Brock's still ramping up. He's getting in football shape, blah, blah, blah. They could play that game if they're kind of, not totally sure on Lance and then wait until Lance has a really bad game and then be like, Oh, guess what? Brock just happens to be ready. We're going to roll with him. Like they, they can play around with that. Teams do that all the time. Or they can just say, Hey Brock, you're the backup to Lamar. (laughs) There we go. Taking it full circle. That would be, yeah. Oh man. Talk about an emergency podcast. If the, if the Niners got Lamar Jackson, Oh man, that's like, drive home from wherever I might happen to be if I ever left my house and come back and do the pot. Uh, yes, uh, that that is certainly true. Uh, definitely would want to be talking right away. We'd be jumping out of my seat. Um, the one thing I will say about Lamar is I have a lot of PTSD when it comes to 49er injuries, and he was injured last year. So in the back of my mind, I, I mean, the front of my mind, I'm – out of my chair, excited, yelling, screaming. I can't believe it happened. In the back of my mind, I'm going, mother effer, if this blows up in our face. Because <laughs> the problem is that the contract you're going to have to give him, like, if he's injury prone, there's just no getting out of that. Yeah. Kind of the same thing we were wondering when the Christian McCaffrey deal went down. And at least for one year, that worked out in the Niners' favor. So we'll keep an eye on everything. Of course, please like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at gold standard network yeah new new youtube channel name so thank you very much for that suggestion levin thanks everybody for listening and uh hopefully we'll get some brock purdy news tomorrow